Third John will read the entire book. Begin reading at verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers, who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Amen. Well, let us pray. Oh, Lord our God, we are thankful that all of Scripture is God-breathed, and we are thankful we can come and learn uh, things about the truth, things about life, things about what it means to be a Christian in this fallen world, and that you teach us these things. And so we pray that you remind us of the importance of spiritual health, remind us of the importance of physical health, remind us of the importance of where joy lies, and that lies in the truth. And we pray that we would be a people of the truth, that as a church we would cling to the truth, but as individuals we would cling to the truth, and that we would walk according to the truth. Again, we are thankful that there is forgiveness for the times we do not do so, but we pray that after we seek forgiveness, after we call upon your name, after we find mercy, we would press on in the things of heaven. And so we pray that you'd be with us by your spirit. We pray that you would work in the hearts and lives of your people. If there are things that they need to hear, please make us all hear them. And we pray if there are any here today who do not know you, please save them. Please show them that physical health uh, is not saving, that one day death shall come. And we pray that you would save them spiritually, that you give them new life now, that they might have a physical resurrection when Christ returns. And so we are thankful for the gospel and what it brings. We are thankful for our Savior, our Lord, uh, who assumed a human nature. And we're thankful that he is just the Savior that we need, for we are sinful in body and soul. And we're thankful that our salvation is in body and soul as well. So be with us now by your spirit. May you be glorified in all things. Help us to understand further what your word says by your spirit. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, perhaps health is on our mind a lot. We think about our physical health often, and we think about whether or not we're going to get sick. If somebody has a sniffle, we try to avoid them like the Black Plague. Uh, perhaps you think about sleep, uh, sleep and the importance of that. You think about, shall I eat well? Shall I exercise? Health often is on our minds. But so too, spiritual health ought to be on our minds as well. 
There are things that are important for our physical health, but there are things that are important for our spiritual health as well. So it's an important thing to ask ourselves, are we healthy? Are we healthy in the spiritual things? And even it's good to ask, are we healthy in the physical things as well? Because both physical health and spiritual health comes up in the book of 3 John. Obviously, spiritual health is far more important, but physical health plays an important role as well, which we will see in this book. And certainly we need to be reminded of what is healthy in light of what is unhealthy. And the occasion for 3 John, the occasion for writing, is in light of a man named Diotrephes and the problems that he's causing in the church where Gaius is at. And so John is writing to an individual, which is different than what we saw in 2 John. In 2 John, he's writing to a church. He's writing to a local church. But here in 3 John, he is writing to a beloved friend. He is writing to a dear friend, namely this one, Gaius. And so he's writing to reinforce the importance of the truth, but also to instruct on how they ought to deal with opposition. And one scenario, uh, one, uh, the scenario behind it could be what we've already seen in 1 John and 2 John. Remember in 1 John and 2 John, there were those heretics, those secessionists, those ones who denied that Jesus came in the flesh. And so perhaps they have been causing problems. Even the church or the churches where John was caring for, they had their problems and issues. So if John's church has issues, we shouldn't be surprised when uh, churches like ours can have issues as well. So he's writing to instruct, he's writing to encourage. And one thing that does come up a lot in 3 John is the importance of hospitality that we see from Gaius. It's what John writes to encourage him about, but it flows out of the truth that is in him. It flows out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He must cling to the truth and be generous even in light of false teachers that come. We must press on in what God has called us to in light of whatever difficult situation we may face. A difficult circumstance doesn't mean we get to go off the beaten path. We still must honor God and follow him. And it's very encouraging to hear when people do that in light of strife that arises in the church of Christ. And so the problem that we see in the whole book is when God's people are not united, when there is conflict, when there are things that might make the church unhealthy. So what ought God's people to do? We ought to cling to the truth. We ought to hold fast to the truth. And we ought to deal with those who might make the church unhealthy in a healthy way. And so when there is discouragement, uh, there needs to be encouragement. And so John starts the letter with encouragement to encourage Gaius. But then he's also going to deal with the problem of diatrophies as well. So the, the greeting in verses 1 through 4, we see how John greets Gaius in whom he finds joy. He finds joy in Gaius. He's encouraged by the health of Gaius. He's encouraged by what he hears about Gaius. And so he writes to encourage him. And so verses uh, 1 through 8 really deal with the encouragement. Verses, uh, the latter six verses deal with the opposition and the conflict that's happening. Uh, so today we'll look at that encouragement, this joy that John finds as heard about in Gaius. And we'll look at it under two headings this morning. First of all, we'll see the elders' prayer for Gaius's health in verses 1 and 2. So the elders' prayer for Gaius's health in verses 1 and 2. And then secondly, we'll see the elders' joy from Gaius's life in verses 3 and 4. 
the elders' joy from Gaius' life. So really the elders' prayer and the elders' joy. So let's first look at the elders' prayer for Gaius' health in verses 1 and 2. And we see it is function. It's basically a letter like we've seen before, writing to an individual. We see the, uh, the author of it is going to be this one in verse 1 who is called the elder. That's the same uh, title that he uses in 2 John. It is referring to the apostle John. Now, elder can refer to age, one who is older, uh, one who has hoary hairs on their head. And it could be the case that John is about to die and he not only has the office of elder, but he also has wisdom uh, as the one who has seen a lot of things. So he's writing not just to the church, but also to encourage his friend as well. And so certainly the idea of age can be in view, but also he is also an elder. Even though he is an apostle of the universal church, he functions as an elder in local churches as well, and he functions like so here in the Johannine community. And so he is writing as the one who has authority. He is writing as the one who is taking care of the churches uh, in his vicinity. And so he is writing here to encourage this one whose name is Gaius. And so he says, uh, the elder to the beloved Gaius. So we see this friendship. We see this love. We see this connection whom I love in the truth. Now, as far as who Gaius is, we probably have no idea. There could be four Gaiuses in scripture. Gaius was a popular name. There's Gaius of Corinth, Gaius of Macedonia, and Gaius of Derby. Uh, one patristic writing, uh, one uh, writing that comes around the time of the church fathers, uh, suggests that it could be Gaius of Derby, but we have really no idea who this Gaius is. But no, one thing we can glean or know about him is what we see from the letter. Is he an elder in the church? We don't know, but he seems to be a prominent man and he does seem to be well-to-do. He does seem to be a man of means and is, is important uh, when there are traveling missionaries. It's important when there are those who come, actually come from the apostles who go out of and they are from the church of Christ to help them, to encourage them, to provide uh, lodging when they come and uh, join in uh, with the churches that they're traveling around. So uh, having a house is very important. And so having means is important for Gaius, which we're going to see a little bit more in just a moment and next week as well. But we see he loves Gaius. There's this friendship. We see his care for him, whom I love in the truth. Same language used of the church in 2 John, but now it's applied to an individual. John obviously loves the church, but he also loves individuals in the church. He loves people, specific people, and he loves this one who is Gaius. We saw how walking in the truth, or uh, the love uh, whom I love in the truth, is we love according to the standard of the truth. We are saved by the truth, and we walk according to the truth. We walk in a way that God has laid down in his word, and we love according to the way that God has said. And as we will see, and as we saw, we see that love is connected with the commandments of God. How do we love one another? By not killing them. How do we love one another? By not uh, lusting after them. How do we love one another? By not stealing from people. How do we love one another? By not lying or not exaggerating or uh, taking someone's, uh, uh, tearing someone's reputation down. How do we love one another? Don't covet. How do we love one another? Honor your authorities, honor your bosses. That is how we can love one another. But certainly that flows out of love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. 
We love according to what God has said in his word. We don't love according to what we think love is, what the world thinks love is, but we love according to the standard of the truth. What unites the people, what gives them this communion, what gives the communion of the saints is that we are in Christ Jesus and the truth that is found in him, and we walk accordingly. So he loves Gaius, the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. But then we see his prayer for Gaius, and we see his prayer for Gaius has to do with Gaius's prosperity in body and soul. And again, we see that affectionate language in verse 2. He is the beloved. He is a loved one. He is cared for by John. They have this intimate connection. And it says, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. That is John's desire for Gaius. John's prayer for the church and for the people of God is that they would prosper in health, that they would prosper in all things. So this is a typical greeting in the Greco-Roman world, but I think it applies to the church of Christ as well. Now, I'm not saying we should love money, but is having money a sin? Is having riches a sin? It is not a sin. Lydia is very wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea is very wealthy. Philemon is probably very wealthy. And as we see here, Gaius is probably very wealthy as well. Now, money can be an idol, money can be a bad thing, but in reality, it is a good gift that God gives us. We can take good goods and make them a bad God, and that's what money can be. And we ask and pray that God would give us, uh, if we, God gives us money, that we would not make it an idol and that we would have comparable generosity uh, that matches the money that God has given to us. So having money is not necessarily a bad thing. It's not, a, it's not sinful at all. In fact, you know, the eighth commandment, what is required, we ought to be industrious. We ought to work hard. Uh, certainly Ephesians 4 says that we ought to work with our hands that we might then what? Be able to give and help other people who might have need. We pray that God would give us jobs that we can work hard to pay for our families. Ultimately, first, they are our first, uh, uh, the first uh, ministry that we have, the people that we care for the most, but then also that we can help other people as well as God gives us uh, ability, as God might prosper us. And let's be honest, don't we want people to prosper I mean, who in their right mind wants people to be up to their eyeballs in debt? When we read about the stats in Canada and how people are getting in more and more debt, are we happy about that? Are we thrilled about that? No, we don't want people to suffer. We don't want people to go through hardship. We don't want people to be in debt. We don't want people to struggle financially. We want people to prosper. And that is, John, that is John's prayer here for his friend Gaius. He wants his friend to be able to prosper. And he says, I pray that you may prosper in all things. And one thing that's interesting is the word prosper is used four times in the Bible. Two here in 3 John. Another place is in 1 Corinthians 16 with respect to giving. See, brethren, in the New Testament, when it comes to giving and tithing, uh, 10% is just a number in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, we give 
as we are able. We give as God has prospered us. And so we see with respect to the collection, with the gathering of funds in 1 Corinthians 16:2, it says, on the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. So certainly we provide for our families, but ultimately all we have and gives, uh, given to us is from God, and we ought to give it to him. As God may prosper, we then give it to the collection as well. Storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. So someone's going to bring it to the people in need, uh, but it is as one may prosper. And so John very much prays here that Gaius would prosper. Now, it could be the case, and it most likely is the case, and in many ways, there is a direct connection with hospitality and finances. Now, I just want to say, if one feels embarrassed because they can't afford a house in the Lower Mainland, guess what? Most of us can't afford a house in the Lower Mainland. But that doesn't mean we can't have people over. That doesn't mean we can't have people in our home. That doesn't mean we can't share meals with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. However, sometimes people with means, can. it is a little bit easier in that way. Gary, or, uh, Steve uh, uh, Smalley says that very thing. Those who have a larger home, especially with the traveling missionaries, they actually have room in their home. Uh, the, the Gaius, who has a bigger home, has room in his home to house these traveling missionaries. Now, again, there's itinerant preachers in view. There are good itinerant preachers, ones sent by the apostles, and there are bad ones. Those ones are not to be received, but it probably was the case that men who had means, like Gaius, is one who was able to house those who were traveling. In fact, that is exactly what John commends him for in verses 5 through 8. He commends him for housing them. I remember Dale Ralph Davis preaching on Mark, and he was talking about the Last Supper, and he talks about how the guy who gives the room to Jesus for the upper room is probably a disciple. And one thing he said that was struck me, he goes, some disciples lose their lives, but some disciples keep their house. And in both instances, one, uh, there, there is service to God. One who's ready to lose his life for God. And we all have to be ready to lose our life for God. But also there was one who was ready to use his house for the Lord. Who was ready to use his house so that the Lord could have uh, the Last Supper before he would die. I think that is the same thing here as well. He is commending him. He is praying for him that he might prosper, that he might be able to help him, that he might be able to encourage uh, him, that he might be able to help those who are coming. So I pray that you prosper in all things. I pray that you prosper in all that you do. Now, this is not a health, wealth, prosperity thing I'm saying, right? I want to make that very clear. I'm not saying you become a Christian and you're going to have $5 million in your bank account tomorrow. Most of the time we suffer. Most of the time we go through sorrow. And I'm not diminishing the reality of suffering. But at the same time, it's okay to pray that God's people would prosper, right? We have to have balance. We have to have a proper uh, recognition of what the scriptures say when it comes to finances. We can't live on love and fresh air, right? We need help. We need aid. We need God's uh, provision. And God will always provide for his people. 
As 1 Timothy 4 says, he is the savior of his people. And there he's not talking about eternal salvation. The way the wording is used there, the way the grammar is used there, he's highlighting, he says, God is the savior of the world and especially for his people. What that means is the rain falls upon the just and the unjust. What that means is God gives fruitful seasons to unbelievers. But in 1 Timothy 4, the especially for God's people is the encouragement that God will always be with us. God will always help us. God will always give us what we need. God will always provide for us. Doesn't mean we're not going to have anxiety. Doesn't mean we're not going to have hardship. But what it means is God knows what's best for us and God will give us all that we need. So he prays that they might prosper in all things, or that he might prosper in all things, but also in health. Physical health is a blessing, isn't it? And again, shouldn't we want people to be in good health? Again, there is sickness, there is death, and a Christianity isn't the ticket to never being sick, but health certainly is a blessing. And the way the word is used here is to describe physical health, to describe physical well-being. And if I may make an observation, sometimes the people of God can be practical Gnostics. What I mean by that is, we've talked about Gnostics or pre-Gnostics as we've gone through 1 John, 2 John, and now 3 John. Remember the Gnostics taught that spiritual things are good and matter is bad? Spiritual things are great, but our body is not? Brethren, God made our bodies what? And he called them good. He made us body and soul, and God has given us our bodies. Sometimes we can be practical Gnostics when we neglect the reality that we are not disembodied spirits. Brethren, we are made body and soul. We are composite beings. There's the material aspect, the thing that you see, the thing that you look at. That is the material aspect of what we are made of. The spiritual side, the soul side, is a thing we can't see. That's the thing that we don't, we have no idea how, it's, how it works, but we are made as God made Adam. He breathed the breath of life into him and made him body and soul. And the faculties of the soul are twofold. The intellect, the mind, and then the will. The, as the intellect knows, so the will goes, as writers have said. We think, uh, think of things, we look at things, we ponder things, we make judgments about them, and then we either desire it or not. We reject it or accept it based upon all that we see. And we see that the soul works through the body. And then we know that if the body and soul are separate, what happens? Our body dies. So we are made up body and soul. And so we cannot neglect that very fact. We cannot neglect that reality. There are the ABCs of spiritual health. We're all for that, right? Go to church, pray, and read your Bible in that order. And pray certainly when you come to church. But go to church, pray, and read your Bible. And the reason it's in that order is because, brethren, for most of human history, people did not have their own Bibles. Isn't it such a luxury that we can turn our Bibles on and a guy reads it for us in a wonderful British accent or in another sort of accent, whatever accent you want. It could be a lady, it could be a guy, it probably should be a guy, but anyway, but it doesn't matter. I mean, God, we can listen to it, we can hear it, we can read it, and yet we don't. What does that say about us? And that's one reason why there's no command to read the scriptures in the Bible because they did not have the means to have their own. 
Now, brethren, please understand, I think you should read your Bible. I think you should read it every day. But come to church, pray, read your Bible. The ABCs of spiritual health, but there are ABCs of physical health as well. You know what they are? You probably heard this from your doctor or your mother. Eat good food. Get a little exercise. Get some sleep. That's what it is. Eat some good food. Get some sleep and get some exercise. And we cannot miss the fact that sometimes our spiritual life is affected when our physical life is in shambles. And I'm going to use the example of sleep. That's been on my mind lately. And so let's think about it for a sec. If we don't get good sleep, what happens? We're just a little bit more irritable. Take a child who doesn't get good sleep and what? They're a train wreck because we're made body and soul. Now, it's not an excuse to be irritable or more grumpy. I'm just saying we need to enter in a little bit. We need to consider the situation, what people are going through. So we could be more irritable if we don't get sleep. We can have trouble focusing if we don't get sleep. And we can have trouble memorizing things if we don't get sleep. Sleep is important. Sleep affects our, our cognitive functions. Sleep affects our memory. It is good to have a good sleep hygiene. Remember, we saw that in the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment, we see body and soul uh, working there. We see what? A sober use of meat, a sober use of recreations, and a sober use of sleep. And to use a biblical example, remember in Samson, when we looked at Samson, he killed the 1,000 with the jawbone of a donkey. What happens? Lord, kill me. I'm thirsty. Lord, I don't have any food. And what happens? God gives him water and his spirit revives. Don't downplay that, brethren. Don't downplay the effects and the, the whether for good or bad of sleep, nutrition, and uh, exercise. So don't be a practical Gnostic. The Bible does say that bodily exercise profits a little, right? Paul says that. But spiritual godliness profit is, profit is profitable with this life and the life to come. So John recognizes that. I pray that you may prosper in all things and that you would be in good health. Again, it doesn't mean we're never going to get sick. It doesn't, never, it doesn't mean we're never going to potentially sit before a doctor and have to hear a very sad diagnosis. I mean, there's still sin, there's still death, there's still hardship in this world, but it's not wrong to pray that we would be in good health, right? It's not wrong to, in the life that we live, to strive to be in good health as far as we are able. So physical health is important. And John certainly prays that you may prosper in all things and be in health. And the reason I think this is referring to physical things is because the latter part of verse 2 highlights the spiritual side. Just as your soul prospers, I pray that your body would prosper. I pray that your health would prosper. I pray that in all things you would pro prosper just as your soul prospers. You see, Gaius has been changed. Gaius has been given a new mind. He's been given a new will. And we see that he is prospering, he is growing in the things of God. As he hears the truth, as he knows the truth, we see the outworking of his life. And again, don't we want people to grow spiritually? Don't we want people to die to sin more day by day? 
Don't we want to be just a little bit less angry, a little little less irritable? Don't we want to be a little more godly and a little more prayerful? Don't we want to read our Bible a little bit more? Don't we want to be more gracious with our children and enter in? Aren't those all good things? That's exactly what he's praying for. I pray that your soul would prosper just uh, and your health would prosper. But it seems to be that his soul is prospering and his uh, health is as well and that it would continue. We want that. We want to be healthy in body and in soul. John, like a good pastor, and the Puritans were geniuses with respect to this. They considered body and soul. Now, I'm not going to prescribe anything for you. I'm not a physical doctor. But it is not wrong to see practitioners who are experts in their field for the good of our physical well-being. Those are, not, uh, those, are, those are things certainly that can be done. But pastors know that God's people are body and soul. He knows that the soul as the life principle is far more important. Again, 1 Timothy 4, godliness, profit, or uh, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for this life and the life to come. It is more. I'm not denying that. Spiritual life is far more important. It doesn't matter if you're the strongest guy. It doesn't matter if you have the most healthy heart. If one does not believe in Christ Jesus, they're going to die spiritually. That's not going to save them uh, from everlasting damnation. Only Christ can do that. But as God's people who have been redeemed, we must understand an important balance that is there and understand the place Uh, of good health in body and soul. And so we ought to pray for these things. That is the prayer that we see here. Prosperity. Pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Again, I'm not saying you're going to get a Rolls Royce. I'm not saying that if you, uh, but we still ought to pray that God's people would be in good health. That's daily bread, isn't it? That's the fourth petition of the Lord's prayer. We pray for our daily bread, that God would provide for our needs. Pray that God's people would have all they need materially and physically. Again, there's still going to be tribulation. Again, there's still going to be financial stress. Again, there's still going to be physical ailments. But let's be honest. Whoever regrets eating well, whoever regrets going for a walk or going for a jog or getting into the weight room and pumping some iron, Whoever says that was the worst thing I ever did, whoever said that was the dumbest thing I ever, nobody ever says that, right? I got more sleep and I feel so much better. I should have stayed up way later, got three hours of sleep instead. Nobody thinks that way because it's good for us. Eating, sleeping, and nutrition, they are good things for us. And we pray that God's people would grow in these areas. But we also pray that God's people would prosper spiritually. Brethren, I want every one of you to prosper spiritually. I hope you want me to prosper spiritually. I want everybody to have a little less conflict in their family or to know how to deal with conflict just a little bit better. I want everybody to sing Kumbaya and be best of friends. I know that doesn't always happen, but that's okay. But we all want to be, I want that. I want unity. I hate conflict. I can't stand conflict. I don't want there to be conflict. I want everybody just to be happy. But that's not always the case. But we can pray that God's people would prosper in these areas. And again, did everybody, anybody ever say, you know, I, I have been praying a little bit more. That, that was a terrible idea. You know, you know, I started coming to the evening service a little bit more frequently. And it was the worst thing in my, I've ever done. You know, I get to hear about the Old Testament and Joel. Oh, terrible. 
I started coming to prayer in the morning, 9.30. Started to think about, does anybody ever go, you know, that was terrible, I'm never going to do that again. You see, the basics of life, spiritual and physical, uh, are pretty simple. It's just whether or not we will do such things. And so thankfully, God is very good to us. Thankfully, God is patient with us. Thankfully, God is kind with us. But we ought to grow in these areas spiritually. And it's not wrong, or at least pray that God's people will grow spiritually. But it's also not wrong to pray that God's people might prosper in all things and be in health. But it's important to remember, if we lost everything materially, we would still have Christ, wouldn't we? And if we lost everything materially, we still have everything in our Savior. And thankfully, he came to give us life and that we might have it abundantly. And the abundant life is found in him. The everlasting life is found in him. It is always found in him. So I'm not saying that physical health outweighs spiritual health. I'm just saying we have to know the place of each of those things. Know what we are. Know what God made us to be. Know, know, know uh, what the priorities ought to be in our life. And it's not wrong to pray that you may prosper in all things, be in health, just as your soul prospers. That is John's prayer for Gaius. That is my prayer for you. Hopefully that is your prayer for other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, but knowing that there is still tribulation in this world. But pray for these things. Pray just as John does for Gaius's health. So that's the elder's prayer for Gaius's health. Let's then look secondly at the elder's joy from Gaius's life. The elder's joy from Gaius's life. So he does go on to talk further about um, the spiritual aspect, the soul prospering, but we're going to see there's interplay between the means God has given to him and the life that he lives in light of what God has done with those means. We'll see that more next week in verses 5 uh, through 8. But we see that the starting place is that he walks in the truth. We see the testimony of Gaius walking in the truth. He prays, just as your soul prospers, and the reason he prays such is because I rejoiced Greatly, when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. We see that John is excited that the church walks in the truth in 2 John. And we see here that individuals walk in the truth. He has great joy that his spiritual children are doing something that is pleasing to God. I rejoice greatly, the testimony. So brethren came, they came to John, and they're probably testifying to what's going on at the church where Gaius is at. There's conflict. There is a man named Diotrephes there who wants the preeminence. And so he is writing certainly to deal with that, but also to encourage Gaius. But thankfully, there are witnesses for Gaius. There's witnesses against Diotrephes, and there are witnesses for Gaius. So Gaius doesn't need to fear. He might be wondering, will Diotrephes bring an accusation against me that is false? He could be wondering that. But John writes to affirm him, no, these ones have testified concerning you. There is this positive witness concerning Gaius, but a negative one concerning Diotrephes. And so the witnesses are important. So the brethren come, they testify, they speak with their lips, of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. See, he's believed in the truth. He's looked to the truth. He has not uh, been swept away by these heretics who came and said, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. No, he is he held fast to what John has said, and he is flourishing. 
He is walking in a way that is pleasing to God. He is in good spiritual health in light of the conflict that has come. And so he testifies that, so they recognize, John recognizes, they recognize of the truth that is in Gaius. The truth does something. It brings change in our hearts. John 17, 17 says, Jesus prays, sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth. So how do we grow? What is good for our health? It is the truth. What is good for our spiritual health? It is doctrine, that we might grow in it, and then hopefully our lives, after we've been changed by it, there's an outworking in the life in which we live, just as there is in Gaius, just as you walked in the truth. The Christian life testifies to the truth that is in Gaius, and it testifies to the truth that is in us. Not perfectly, but good works are an evidence that the gospel has brought change to us. They're not the means by which we are saved, but they are the evidence by which God has brought change in our lives. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to have, uh, there's going to be no perfection, but there perhaps if there's noticeable change, we ought to praise the Lord God most high. And we saw how last time, or I guess in not last time, but in 2 John, we saw how walking in the truth is connected with the commandments. It seems that Gaius has rejected the secessionist doctrine, the heretical doctrine, and he's clinging to the thing that has been handed down, even the commandment of old, which is what? To love God and love your neighbor. That is the commandment of old. How do you walk in the truth? Love God and love your neighbor, which he does, which he engages in. So he's walking in the truth. He's heard about this. He's rejoicing over this, that Gaius is doing this. Then he gives this general statement in verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Now, the language of children there seems to imply that Gaius owes his salvation to John, that his specific conversion, his sa- the day he was saved, he owes it specifically to John, similar to Philemon uh, and Paul. Remember, Paul appeals to that, you know, you owe your very life to me. Well, the similar thing is here. Gaius owes his life to John. And so in many ways, Gaius is his spiritual child. And so he's thrilled to hear that he's walking in the truth. He is thrilled. It gives him great joy. Matthew Poole says, uh, was the greatest matter of joy to this holy apostle, especially when the godly lives of such to to whose conversion had been instrumental were so observable as to gain them a testimony from all, uh, all others that knew them as it was in the present instance. So it's not just he's been saved, but there's this clear evidence that everybody sees that Gaius is walking in the truth. And it brings John great joy. Now, many do apply this to their own biological children. And brethren, that is an encourage, it is an encouraging thing. Again, we want our children to walk in the Lord, right? We want our children to be well-functioning members of society as well. We want all of those things, but there's sin and misery, and that does not always happen, does it? And it brings great grief. And so it is encouraging when one's biological children walk in the Lord. Only God can do that. Only God can change their lives. Only God can save them. We share the gospel with them, but only God can do that very thing. But it is a great burden for parents whose children do not walk 
in the Lord. But the implication here, or the main co context here, is spiritual children. I have no greater joy than to hear that my spiritual child walks in the truth. But the illustration with biological children is good. Nobody wants their child to die in their trespasses and sins. Again, who wants their child to be a menace to society and fearful of society? No, they, we want our children to grow and flourish and prosper. We want all those things. Which parent wouldn't want that? And certainly that is the case with John and Gaius in a spiritual way. And so what brings him joy is my children, again, walk in the truth. And brother, it is encouraging when God's people walk in the truth. It brings pastors great joy when God's people walk in the truth, when sinners are saved, and when God's people grasp the importance of gathering, when God's people grasp the importance of prayer, when God's people are dying to a certain sin. That's very encouraging. When there's less conflict, when there's less pride, and let's be honest, all of our sin spreads or comes out of our pride and our love of self. And so if our love of self seems to be dying, praise the Lord for that very thing. And as that love of self dies, make sure we don't have pride that we are humble. That's another thing we ought to pray for. We ought to pray that if God gives us uh, uh, humility, that we ought not to be proud uh, about our humility. Unity, when God's people are united, again, it's discouraging when there's strife. It's discouraging when there's issues, but there's encouragement when if there is conflict, a bro a, a two, a, a two brothers, sisters, if there's an issue, they go, hey, I'm really sorry for my part in this. And the other person goes, I'm really sorry for my part in this. Please forgive me. They're all of branches that are thrown there. That's encouraging to hear that people are, as the wisdom from above says in James 3, willing to yield. It's encouraging to hear when God's people are willing to yield and willing to fall on their sword for the sake of their brethren to reconcile a situation. So those are encouraging things that, uh, that, you know, that come to mind for me. There's a lot of discouraging things, but I think the main emphasis here seems to be on encouragement. So I'll leave the discouraging things for me uh, that discourage me. I'll let you think about that and ponder that, but please think about the encouraging things, the things that encourage me, the things that delight me, the things that give me great joy, and the things that give John great joy, that his children walk in the truth. Now, if God's people don't, it's always good to be reminded there is forgiveness in Christ. If we sin, confess it to God, move on. If you sin again, confess it to God, move on. That is the Christian life. Press on. We press towards the goal. We press towards the prize, forgetting what lies behind, according to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. But this is meant to be encouragement. Elders, he has joy from Gaius's life. And certainly we can see that the truth brings great joy. The truth brings great joy to the people of God in their own lives. The truth brings great joy to the pastors who care for them. And really how God's people grow and how God's people are healthy is by way of the truth. And again, when we think about this health illustration that I've used throughout this sermon, again, with respect to exercise and eating well and sleep, often people don't want to do that. <laughs> They don't want to do those basic things. I'm not saying you have to work out four days a week. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, I'm not telling you what time to go to bed. I'm just saying uh, get uh, adequate sleep. I'm not telling you what to eat, but eating well is a good 
thing. Let's be honest. We're going to eat and sleep. Why not do it well? I mean, we're eating and sleeping anyway. Why not just do it well? So, uh, you know, that illustration, I think, is apt and applies also to the spiritual health of God's people. We have what's good for us, and it's very simple, just like health is very simple. Physical health is very simple. And this is where I'm a broken record, but sometimes we need to hear it again and again and again and again. What's good for God's people? The truth. What's good for God's people? The scriptures. What's good for God's people? The gatherings. What's good for God's people? Praying. Or the ABCs of spiritual health. Come to church, pray, read your Bible. Those are the ABCs of spiritual health. Those are the things that we ought to engage in. And if I may make an observation, sometimes the healthiest sheep, and I've heard this from others, are the ones who make use of the means consistently. And if you think I'm a little bit out to lunch, let's go back to that word health for a minute. We've used the word health in verse 2 physically. Do you know where else it's used? Figuratively. It's used throughout the pastoral epistles to talk about what? Sound doctrine. Same word. Healthy doctrine. What is healthy for the people of God? Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, as he's about to die, it's his last letter, he talks about the importance of preaching, what the preacher must do, the eschatological implications of it in verse 1, who will, Christ will come and judge the living and the dead, talks about preaching and being ready and convincing and rebuking and exhorting with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound or healthy doctrine. They, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. They're going to go away from sound doctrine. And then in Titus, he talks about what sound doctrine brings in the life of God's people. As we hear the sound doctrine, what ought it to do? What's the outworking of sound doctrine in our lives? Well, in Titus 2, 1 and following, he says, But as for you, speak the things that are proper for sound doctrine. So as we hear sound doctrine, here's what should happen in the life of God's people. That the older man might be sober, reverent, temperate. Sound in faith, in love, in patience. So that's the outworking of sound doctrine in the life of men, older men. Women, older women, that they may be reverent in behavior. Not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And that they might admonish the young women. So now we move to the young women. To love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So sound doctrine, right doctrine leads to right practice. And then he talks about the young men. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself, because Titus is younger, to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. And then... We see bondservants, which the application is to employees and employers. Bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, be, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, not just working when the boss is looking, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine 
of God our Savior in all things. So the word changes, the truth changes us, and the life we live is where we can adorn the gospel. The gospel is not something we do, it is something that's been done, it's, a, it's the word that is proclaimed, and it brings about a change in us that we might adorn it in the life that we live. So whatever job you have, wherever you are, you can adorn the gospel of Christ in the life that you live. Sound doctrine, healthy doctrine is good for you in the fact that it changes us, it makes us more Christ-like, it nourishes us, and it is healthy for our souls. That's why it's good to be consistent with it, consistently coming to the house of God, consistently praying to God, consistently uh, reading God's word. That is what we need, even when we don't want to. Even when we're tired, even when we're weary, we need to come to the house of God. It's like strength training. Going back to that illustration again. There are three levels in strength training. There's the beginner, the intermediate, and the advanced. And when you first start training as the beginner, there's this thing called the newbie effect, and it's magical. You can gain weight, strength very quickly in three months. You five pounds like every workout. I'm not kidding. Five pounds every workout you can add to the bar, whatever workout you're doing. But then you become an intermediate, and then it's probably every month. And then you become advanced, and it's like, every six months before you might see five pounds, but you have to be consistent. And the same thing is true with the Christian life, brethren. You might not always see those gains right away, but the Christian life is one of faithfulness. We just consistently do it day in, day out, week in, week out, doing what God has called us to do. And the irony is people, God's people won't do the basic things and they wonder why they're struggling spiritually when God has laid out for us how we ought to grow, how we grow, the means by which we grow. We, uh, it's good to be under the preaching. It's good to be at prayer. It's good to be faithful. Some people really do want the get spiritual quick scheme, right? That's not how it goes. Faithfulness, day in, day out. Faithfulness according to what God has said. And God will help his people grow. Now, suffering is for our good. I don't want to miss that. Suffering is for our good. We don't go looking for it, though. We don't go suffering and go, well, it's for my sanctification. No, we just press on in life, and as suffering comes, we just continue to press on in the things that are healthy and the things that God has given to us. So God has laid forth in his word here the blessedness of health physically and spiritually, if I may say to those who are not in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter again how much physical health you might have. Sin has brought death into this world, and you will die in your trespasses and sins unless you believe upon Jesus Christ. And one of the most wonderful things about the Savior is he is just the Savior we need. And this is where all the Christology, as I talk both to unbeliever and believer, all the terminology that we've used is so important. You see, brethren, because we are made up body and soul, we need salvation, body and soul. And we need a Savior who is like us, body and soul. And we have just that in Christ Jesus. He is the one who assumed a human nature, a reasonable soul, and a human body, that the whole man might be saved. 
And I don't know how this all connects with what I'm about to say. I don't really get to the body-soul connection, but that is a mystery. But when you think about the redemption that God brings to individuals, think about where it starts first. We first have a resurrected heart, right? It's called regeneration. And then there is the promise of what? A resurrected body. That is what we are awaiting, isn't it? And Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. We have a savior who is like us in every way, body and soul, that you and I might be redeemed, body and soul. And the life that we shall live is not uh, in heaven. The eternal life, the eternal state is not one of disembodiment, but it's one of embodiment. It is having our self-same bodies changed to be conformed to Christ's heavenly body when he comes again. He is just the savior that we need for weary sinners who are dead body and soul. And thankfully, he redeems body and soul as well. Well, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you created this world and called it good. You made us body and soul and called us very good. We know that you made us upright, but we sought out our own devices and we brought sin and misery and sorrow into this world and the prospect of eternal punishment into this world as well. We know that we could be as uh, healthy as can be physically, but unless you save our hearts, unless you give us new life, we know that we shall die in our trespasses and sins. And so we are thankful for the health that you give uh, spiritually. We're thankful for the new life that you give spiritually. And we pray for any here today who do not know you, please give them new life. Please work in them. Please take those who are dead and make them alive. Make them alive as the gospel has gone forth. Make them alive by your spirit as the word has gone forth. And we pray that you would save their souls. And we pray for all of your people. We pray that we would walk in the truth, that we would walk uh, according to the things that are for our spiritual health, that we would recognize the importance of the word and being under the word of God and being uh, praying the word of God and all those wonderful things that you've laid forth. So often we do not do it. And we pray that you'd forgive us for that. Forgive us for not prizing these things. Forgive us for neglecting these things. And we are so very grateful uh, that you remind us of this, you gently correct us, and you teach us uh, that it's good to be in your house and good to be under the word and good to be in the word, that you might help us in the lives in which we live, wherever you have us, that you'd help us to honor and glorify you. And we also are thankful for the physical health that you do give. Thank you for guiding us through times where we are not healthy. Thank you for being patient with us when we are not healthy and it is of our own doing. And we're very grateful that you are forgiving even in this as well, that you forgive us of all of our sins. And so we ask and pray that we would have a right understanding of body and soul, that we have a right understanding of the place of uh, bodily exercise, but also more importantly, godliness, and that we would see that all th these things are intertwined, that we would not take good things like exercise, like food, like working, like money, that we would not make them bad gods, even though they are good goods, but that we would recognize and have a sober understanding of where they are and the place they have in this world. So thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for your patience and long suffering with us. 
We pray that all your people would be in good health, uh, that your people would prosper uh, in the things of this world, and that your people would prosper, uh, more importantly, in the spiritual things. And help us to trust and submit to whatever comes our way in your providence, knowing that it is for our good. And again, give us that sober understanding, that proper understanding, that balanced understanding of what your word says. So thank you for all that you do. We pray that you be honored and glorified in all things. And we pray these things in the name of Christ.